welcome to CXO, a magical podcast to help you serve better and concoct experiences that are superlative in nature. I'm your host, Supriya Sharma, bringing to you in each episode didactic nuggets so you can get inspired to sprinkle stardust in your company, your home, and the community on the whole. Our guest for today, Nicholas Z. Zeisler, is a fractional chief customer officer, a former Fortune 100 CX executive, an assistant professor at the U.S. Air Force Academy, an analyst, a Lean Six Sigma black belt, and as of this summer, a published author. His forthcoming book is titled, We Are Doing CX Wrong and How to Get It Right. Okay, welcome to CXO, Nicholas. Uh, Sapria, how are you? I'm glad to be here. Thanks for. Uh, thanks I'm for doing having. very well. How are you today? I am excited. I can't wait to to dive in. Okay, so without any ado, let's get in there. Tell us, Nicholas, who is a chief customer officer? I mean, I came across this term recently, and who is one? What does he do, or what does she do? Right. Well, thank. That's a great. That's a great question, Sapria. It's important to start with, you know, those those fundamentals. Why do you need a chief customer officer, and what does chief customer officer do? Well, the chief customer officer actually has a couple of rules. Um, and when you think about what the chief customer officer does, it's really aligns similarly to the chief customer officer's uh, uh, colleagues on the executive leadership team. Frankly, when you think about a uh, chief finance officer, the CFO, everybody's favorite, most important person <laughs> at the decision-making desk. Uh, you think about how this is a person who has two very, very fundamental, very important roles. One is as a, an, an operational leader, which is to say the chief finance officer is responsible, simply put, for all the money that goes in, all the money that comes out, the whole balance sheet, everything that your company owes to somebody, everything that your company is owed by somebody else. That takes a huge team and that takes takes a lot of wheels in motion, a lot of plates spinning, or whether, whatever sort of metaphor you want to use, there's a lot going on. And the CFO is responsible for handling all of that operational day-to-day -day work. Then there's uh, what I call a representational role on that same leadership team where anytime that there is a decision that needs to be made by the leadership of an organization, should we invest in this or that new new product? Should we uh, build out a new contact center somewhere? Should we build a new... Uh, uh, factory somewhere, chief finance officer says, okay, well, let me run through all the numbers and let me see what that's going to cost and let me see what the return on that investment is going to be. So it's that leadership role, that representation on that leadership team. Those are the two roles. Well, when you think of a chief customer officer, the chief customer officer has similar roles. There's an operational role and that operational role, the chief customer officer oversees the office of the customer. The office of the customer has three vital operational roles. The first is voice of the customer. And everybody in CX is pretty familiar with that. It's surveys, it's interviews, it's walking in the customer's shoes. It's all those creative and curious ways that we ascertain what the voice of the customer is. You've got a whole organization there because if you're doing CX right and you're doing voice of the customer right, it doesn't just start and stop with surveys. You have to do more things than just ask your, your, uh, your customers via survey what their what their thoughts are the second operational role is 
process engineering. As you mentioned, I'm a Lean Six Sigma black belt. I came to customer experience by way of process engineering. And my the heart and soul of customer experience from my perspective is taking action on what you learn from that voice of the customer. So you have a division within the office of the customer that's responsible for uh, for gathering and analyzing the voice of the customer. And that in those insights are passed on to the process engineering division within the office of the customer. And those folks are your other Lean Six Sigma black belts, your Kaizen experts, people that are project managers and program managers. And they're advancing the process engineering efforts to address the shortcomings that are found and identified from your voice of the customer. So those two very important uh, operational pieces. The third operational piece in the office of the customer is centered on CX culture. Now this may be kind of two-hatted person in HR or whatnot, but the the, the main focus of the uh, division around uh, customer-centric culture is about enabling, empowering, and encouraging your employees to advance your brand promise by way of the customer experience. You enable them by making sure that they have access to all of the tools that are necessary to take care of your customers and advance your brand promise. You empower them by making sure that every instance doesn't entail a, a, an escalation and that they all have the authority to use those tools with which you've enabled them. And then you encourage them by uh, listening to what your employees have to say about how you can better improve your customer's experience and, and what tools are missing and, and where some of those gaps are. It's kind of the, a smaller version of the VOC process engineering that goes on within your organization by listening to your employees. So you have those three operational pieces. You have the voice of the customer, process engineering, and CX culture. That constitutes your office of the customer. And that, in a similar way to the, the what the CFO was doing with uh, incoming, inbound, and accounts receivable, but also things that, that are due to remit. That's the operational piece of the chief customer officer. Then there's the representational piece. In the same way that the CFO is going to answer questions about how decisions at that strategic level will be impacted by finances and how it will impact the finances of the organization, your chief customer officer sits at that table to play a role of representing the most important constituency within your organization, and that is your customers. Whenever there's a change that needs to be made, there's a supply chain issue and we need to change suppliers. Well, how's that going to impact the customer? Well, you look to the CEO, the chief customer officer, in the same way that you look at the CCO's peers about what their expertise and what constituency is that they're each representing. So the chief customer officer has an operational role to oversee the office of the customer and a representational role to advocate on behalf of the customer when decisions need to be made at that strategic high level. I pick up on that. You said customer is the most important constituency and we have the chief customer officer who is looking after or rather representing that constituency in an organization. Yep. But then what comes to my mind here is I come across a number of companies who make these big statements and promises around, okay, we have customer at the center of our operations and we are this and we are that. But then what happens at the end of the day is they shy away from having a person, a specific resource person as a chief customer officer, except for organizations who have to have a contact center or are into similar businesses. So why do they shy away from having a specific person recruited for this role then? I think that there's, um, uh, Supriya, that's a great question. I think that there's an interesting uh, paradox here and that sometimes CX can mean everything. And it's all about, you have to wow your customers, you have to just, 
blow their doors off, knock their socks off, make every experience with him the most incredible experience ever. And then it kind of becomes, it becomes so much that it turns into nothing. <laughs> and and you, you turn to your team and, and if, you, if you describe and express customer experience that way as just this huge wow factor, you turn to your team and it's hard to express that. It's hard to make that happen. And so I think the key to customer experience and a successful customer experience endeavor is to start with why. You know, I'll use Simon Sinek here. We always are talking about you know, uh, you know, business thought leaders. And if we understand the whole purpose of CX in the first place, I think it can crystallize and answer a lot of the questions that people have about it and what does it mean? The whole purpose of customer experience within your company should be to remove the gap that exists between what your brand promise is and what your customers experience when they interact with your brand. And when I say brand promise, I realize I'm not inventing that term, but I'm talking about fundamental precepts of your organization, why you exist in, your, in the first place, your mission, your vision, your corporate values and your principles. You're making a promise to your customers when you declare that this is what you're all about. Your customer experience office, your chief customer officer in the office of the customer has one most important job in their entire charter, and that is to remove the gap between what your customers experience when they interact with your brand and what that brand promise is in the first place. When you see it that way, well, it takes a lot of the questions out of it, right? But what it also means is that your chief customer officer has to have a tremendous amount of authority True. because this person can't just say, hey, here's what we're finding. And the customers are really upset about this, everybody, y'all. Come on, guys, and let's get on board and do Your chief customer officer has to have the authority right. to roll up his or her sleeves along with the black belts and the other process engineer experts in that organization, in that process engineering division, and spread out enterprise-wide across your entire organization, work between and within all of the other organizations, which by the way, are all represented by those other senior leaders sitting around that, that decision-making table in the C-suite there and say, look, here's where we have a gap between what we're promising and what we're saying we're all about and what our customers are telling us that they're receiving on the other end of that. We need to fix that gap because that's the whole purpose of CX and why we're here in the first place. Exactly. So it's about the entire C-suite coming in and deciding to fix that gap together, not just within the constituency of the chief customer officer. Okay, the person is responsible for bringing in and strategizing what is it on the table, but then the ultimate decision is by the entire leadership team. And especially when it comes to implementation and execution, I think all are responsible equally, isn't it? Um, I, I, I would say that to, to a degree that's the case, but I will say that, there, that it... it, it demonstrates a certain maturity in an organization. Here's the example that I use all the time. Um, it's one thing to have a dynamic and diplomatic uh, and charismatic chief customer officer who everybody just loves and all she has to do is say, hey, here's some surveys or here's some interviews and this is what our customers are telling us. So go fix those things and do these things, will you? But what I see happen all the time is this brilliant CEO hires this chief customer officer and says, come on in here and turn everything around, but doesn't lay the groundwork for the expectation that this chief customer officer is going to come in and knock on your door 
and say, no, here's what we need to fix and here's how we're going to do it. And I have the resources in my fully staffed process engineering division to actually make this happen. One of the things that I say is a sign and this is kind of anecdotal, but it's a great sign of a maturity of, of a CX program within a company and, and that company's dedication to customer experience. If the chief customer officer can look across that table at the CFO, again, remember, keep in mind, you know, the CFO is always call, calling all the shots. But to say, you know what, our brand promise, and here's an example, Supriya, so I'll put, I'll put some meat on the bone. Our brand promise in our organization, whatever company, we, we, we sell widgets or we provide a service, whatever we do as a company, our brand promise is to be the leader in light touch, easy to use, no sweat, we make everything easy for you. Maybe we're in an industry that's really complicated and there's a lot of red, uh, 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 you know, regulatory hoops you have to jump through or something like that. Think, think of something like, like uh, uh, buying and selling homes or mortgages or something like that. One of these really complicated industries, right? So our brand promise is we strip away as much of the complexity as possible and make it easy for you, the customer, to do work with us in a streamlined, easy fashion, right? So say that's your brand promise. You bring in a, uh, a chief customer officer charged with identifying gaps between that brand promise and what your customers experience when they interact with you. Because remember, that's the whole purpose of CX. It's a great sign of maturity if in that organization, that chief customer officer looks directly across the table at the chief finance officer and says, well, we did some surveys and we did some interviews and what we're finding is that the greatest gap between our brand promise and what our customers are experiencing actually is the accounts receivable. Our billing process is made to be too complex. And so we need to come in to the finance part of the, of the business and change and fix how you do what you do. And if you're in an organization where the chief finance officer can feel comfortable with somebody else coming in and saying, okay, well, we've got black belts, we've got Kaizen experts, we've got process engineers who are going to work with you and help you fix and improve how you do what you do to be better in line with our brand promise. That's fantastic. And if you can rely on the chief finance officer to do that work herself or himself, that's great. But keep in mind that that's part of the charter of the office of the customer. And so that chief customer officer has to play a direct and responsible role over that improvement. Mm -hmm. I don't not know every company is, not every company is up for that. Not every organization has a dynamic where someone's gonna feel comfortable with that. Everybody wants a chief customer officer to come in and, 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 and do what Gene Bliss says, right? And be human duct tape and, and stitch between silos and like be this magical uh, uh, you know, oracle of, yeah. of, of happiness and, and, and pleasure and, and just get everybody singing on the same sheet of music. And that's, that's awesome and that's great. And by all means, go out and get Jean Bliss to do that job for you because she's got a lot of experience being very friendly and passionate and get everybody, getting everybody on board. But if you're a smart CEO, by all means, don't ditch your chief customer officer and rely only on that. Make sure you're making the expectations set that this person is actually going to have authority to come in and work in other people's organizations, improving their processes. Now, obviously that person does need to be diplomatic, does need to get along well with others, does need to be a team player. You can't have some tyrant come in and, and just start slamming things around. But at the same time, you are kneecapping your chief customer officer if his or her job duty is to 
bring others on board or to get others to to do these things. No, that shouldn't be that person's responsibility. And for that matter, all the other leadership team members have their own jobs to do. Frankly, they should welcome something like this to come in and say, hey, we're going to help you out and we're going to improve your processes and we're going to do it with the goal of removing the gap between our brand promise and our customers' experiences. When you were talking about uh, the CCO looking directly across the table at the CFO, <laughs> I was actually laughing within myself. And I was yeah. like, whenever I, I go to my clients and I'm like in these meetings, those two guys or uh, women would never be actually looking at each other. And they would be like this, ignoring each other totally because the customer <laughs> officer is definitely going to be demanding upon the chief finance mm -hmm. officer and they would not want to relent. So yes, those are the kind of dynamics that go within the organization. You brought in Simon Sinek here and Simon Sinek, yeah. uh, I'll quote one of his uh, statements here. He says, customers won't ever love an organization until the employees love it first. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. The the um, the employee engagement is is absolutely vital. Um, you, you can't execute this. You can't do this unless you have your employees believing it as well which which by the way i mean since we're doing simon cynic that's why it's so important so important to actually believe it yourself and that's why when i talk to people in leadership positions about for example you talk we'll bring in the cfo again and we talk about <laughs> one, one of the topics um, among cx you know professionals and practitioners all the time is what's the roi of cx sure. and i say if you're starting from that position you're starting in a weak position as it is anyway uh because as is i'm a statistician and i hear people promising all sorts of stories about uh, all, all writing all sorts of promises about return on investment and how if you uh increase one point of NPS that equates to this thousands of dollars in revenue or something like that. And I just, when I hear people say that, I think there's no way you can promise that there's, there are exogenous factors. There are confounding factors. And if you're making promises like that, you're really setting yourself up to be impacted and influenced by things that have not, that's, that aren't within your control. And then especially if internally you're not given the authority to actually make changes and act upon that, it's an even more foolish promise to make. But another thing about it too, getting back again to those foundational principles it sends an interesting mixed signal to your employees about how important your customers should be to them to say that we're going to do cx and this is kind of the whole point of the book is we're doing cx wrong people talk, people use that verb do we're going to do cx it's one thing to say we're going to do cx and I, as the leader of the organization, was convinced that we need to do CX by somebody who came in and stood at the end of our table and promised us revenues and sales and market share. Okay, and then I'm gonna turn around and tell my team, my employees, the people who are expected to do this and deliver this, that the, that the customers are the number one most important thing to us. Well, wait a second, just a minute ago, you said that you were convinced to do CX because somebody said it would bring you money. <laughs> so technically your customers are a means to an end there. Now, two things can be true. And I believe that if you take my approach and you truly do put customers and delivering on your brand promise at the center of your CX efforts, that you definitely will get, you know, 
positive business results. You will probably sell more. You will drive loyalty that will turn into future sales and return customers and people recommending you and therefore a larger customer base. I do believe that. But we get so caught up and tied up in this ROI question that we lose track completely of why, Simon Sinek's uh, <laughs> admonition, why we should do it in the first place, right? So if you want your team on board, don't send mixed signals that customers are important to you because they bring you money and then tell them that customers are the most important thing to you because that's not really the case. Okay, so let's turn the equation around then. Have you sure. ever come across a company uh, which has employees who absolutely love their organization, but then the customers don't love that company as much? I'm not going to, I wouldn't necessarily say uh, that, and I obviously don't want to impugn anybody, uh, but I've, I, would I, would, I would recommend that that is few and far between. Um, that said, I have, and, and, and I, I have interacted with, with many, of, uh, many companies, even as a customer, where, and, and you could probably appreciate this, uh, Supriya, because you've probably had this experience as well. You call in for some sort of help. Maybe you're calling the, the contact center, you know, customer support or something like that. And you can tell that this person trying to help you really wants to help you and is doing everything that he or she possibly can. But because that agent is not enabled with the proper tools, not given the actual thing that he or she needs to help you or isn't empowered because everything needs an escalation because that person does not have the authority to help you that 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 that, that employee really does care about you and really does want to help you but is surrounded by an environment of high regulation of all sorts of red tape of all sorts of rules and processes that are uh, hindering that employee from actually helping the customer. It's, it's a shame because that company probably really does want what's best for the customers too. I mean, I, I think at the end of the day, everybody probably always wants to do what's best for their customers. And, and, and most companies really are customer centric. They have such a hard time expressing it and such a hard time making it happen in the real world because they overthink what CX is and they demand these business results of, of ROI and sales and revenues and so forth, rather than just saying, look, Here's what we are. We are the discount brand. We offer you uh, certainly quality enough that it's not going to break all the time, but it's not going to be the highest quality. We recognize that. We've got, we've got competitors who make the highest quality. They're the quality brand. We're not. We're the discount brand. So everything that we do is centered on saving you money when you interact with us. So we uh, source the, the, the least expensive materials that we possibly can when we create the thing that we create. We look for the least expensive to you as the customer shipping and delivery methods. Now that may mean that it takes a day or so longer, but we're not necessarily going to apologize for that because what we're delivering for you is that brand promise. Now translate that into an employee of that, of that organization. That employee really internalizes what that brand promises. Every time that employee interacts with the customer, there's one thing on that employee's mind. How can I save this customer money today? How can I make this interaction the least expensive compared to any of our other competitors, right? Now, that doesn't mean that we're just gonna crank out a whole bunch of junk 
right? It doesn't mean that we're going to uh, deliver horrible quality or, or, or be rude or whatever. But what it means is that we have really embodied what our brand promises and everything that we do when we're enabling our employees, when we're empowering our employees, and when we are encouraging our employees, when we're asking our customers for their voice of the customer feedback, when we take action on the insights that we gain from that voice of the customer program, all of that is centered around how do we save our customers money? That's all it has to do with. When you're delivering on that brand promise, I think you're, you're going to be set. Okay. You just um, brought about this whole topic of this goodness in the world where the companies, you just mentioned, okay, most of the companies are customer centric and they want to be customer centric. It's just that they have a hard time expressing it. It's so analogous to loving someone, you know, you love someone and you're not able to express your love for them. Yeah. How do you, yeah. How do you say that? Right. <laughs> well, well, and that's, and, you know, that's, a, that's an important thing. And I think, I think if, if we could just make this all about Simon Sinek, I, I think what he would say is what does loving your customers mean? And I think that there are plenty, there are volumes and volumes of books and I have them on my shelf. Actually, I think that's Simon Sinek's book right there, but I've got, <laughs> I've got volumes of CX books written by brilliant CX uh, leaders and, and, and many of whom I, I really admire who seem to suggest that loving your customers means that you give, give them this just outlandish, fantastic, outstanding experience every time, all the time, no matter where they are. And that to me equates to Spirit Airlines offering uh, uh, champagne and caviar on their flights. And the thing is that Spirit Airlines doesn't have that as their brand. It, it makes no sense, right? right. Uh, Etihad Airlines having uh, champagne and caviar. That makes sense because that's more of a of a luxury brand, right? Yes. Ritz Carlton, yes. Motel Six, no. You have to know what your lane is. You have to dedicate yourself to your brand promise. Then you can knock your uh, customer's socks off in delivering that, sure. Like, wow, I never would have thought that I could get this at such a low price. You really have wowed me, right? But if you're a discount brand, you don't wanna wow people necessarily on uh, quality or, 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 or concierge service, especially if that's going to cost your customers more money when they interact with your brand. It's all about dedicating yourself to that, that, that sole purpose, that why, right, that you've dedicated your company to. Yeah, dedicating yourself to the purpose. And I also feel communicating that to your customers so they know what to expect. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that's got to be part, and that's why. And that's why uh, I like to say that uh, that the brand promise and the brand is what ties CX to marketing and sales. You go to marketing and sales, and they know exactly what your brand promises. They know exactly what what it is that we're trying to uh, to sell to our customers. What place we're we're intending to hold in their lives, right? what corner of the market we're trying to, to, to own based on what that brand promise is. Their job is to get that message out. Their job is to present your company in that light so that customers receive that promise. Our job as CX is to turn inwardly, look at our company, look at our processes from the perspective of how they actually impact 
our customers and fix the gaps where they exist and make that brand promise real in the lives of our customers. Makes sense. And since we just stepped into these wonderful experiences, companies like uh, you have the Ritz Carlton's of the world and you have the Four Seasons and the Apples of the world. Mm -hmm. Okay, they, they are into a different league of their own. But what, what is so genetic about these companies that uh, puts them into that league? We know they, they deliver brilliant customer experiences and going to Disneyland, it's such a wow experience. You won't even want to come out of it. But what, what is the genetic makeup of these companies that helps them get into that Premier League? Uh, well, it's 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 uh, a, a dedication to what that brom, brand promise is. You know, Supriya, you bring up great examples of this. You notice whenever we talk about uh, great brands within CX, it's almost always that you know luxury brand that goes out of their way to just make things so perfect and fancy. We never talk about like a, a discount brand that says, you know, it isn't the highest quality, it isn't the absolute best stuff, but you know what? year after year after year after year, they consistently deliver the lowest price uh, uh, product or service to their customers. One of the things that, um, that you know, I alluded to this before, I was talking about uh, exogenous factors when it comes to statistics and how making a promise to see a great return on your investment from, from doing CX is a bad idea. One of those uh, uh, confounding factors is, shows up in a lot of the examples that you just that you just gave. Somebody from from one of these consulting firms, somebody from Forrester or, or, or Qualtrics or whatever, is going to come out and say, companies that do CX see on average a much higher return. They see much greater sales, and they'll turn to companies like Disney and Apple and Amazon and and all of the Ritz Carlton, and and they'll say look at all these companies that are quote unquote doing CX and they all are and they're all great places to learn lessons from to be sure so I'm not suggesting that that there's some sort of craziness going on there but what I'll say is this you notice another thing that all those companies have in common they have fantastic technology great IP they have tremendous supply chains sometimes they simply are the movers and shakers within their industry in the first place sometimes just being there and being biggest means that you have the leverage to do all sorts of uh, wonderful things today. They have uh, very engaging and uh, charismatic leaders. There are a lot of things that go into why Apple, for example, is what Apple is and has the reputation it has. It isn't just because Tim Cook or, or, or uh, 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 Steve Jobs years ago woke up and said, hey, I think I'm going to do CX. <laughs> There's a lot of other awesome things going on right. within these organizations that are contributing to their tremendous success. If you are a, a company that wants to quote unquote do CX because you think that that is the key to great revenues and sales, I'm afraid that that you may a not be going into it with with the right spirit and b i think you're probably about to be conned by a by a cx consultant <laughs> but i'll be here if that happens give me a call instead <laughs> nick i'm curious your book doing cx right does it also involve uh, aligning cx strategy with the organizational strategy does it talk about that as well a hundred percent in fact that's the that is the the foundation of it the whole uh the whole uh uh 
pillar system because there's just got to be Sapria, so there's got to be a, a, a framework right i mean you can't mm -hmm. be a consultant you can't write a book unless you say here are the three pillars of this or that and that's so i and i described earlier that that you have your your, your voice of the customer your process engineering and your cx centric culture that all stands on a foundation of cx strategic alignment and again it comes down to looking at your mission your vision values principles whatever you have etched in marble in the lobby of your building what you're telling your customers you are all about that should be the heart of your cx efforts delivering on that brand promise and uh, again I'm, I'm just pollyanna enough pollyanna ish enough to believe in these things. And, and I, I think most business people do. I mean, it takes a lot of time to build out with your mission and vision and you pick the words just specifically and exactly. And, and I think that there's, there's a lot of, um, a lot of just wordplay that goes into it sometimes, but I think the majority of businesses and the majority of organizations really do believe that. Right. And then for some reason that goes out of their mind when they start thinking about how they interact with their customers. You know, we are about this. We are about a sustainable organization or we are about um, uh, making things easy. You know, pick any brand promise example that you want. Anything that you can make your company all about. So many great and, and, and virtuous endeavors out there. But I'm surprised so many times when I say, you're all about this, but this is the experience your customers have when they interact with you. Where did that disconnect come? Because you would think that that would be the most fundamental and easy connection to make, right? You need to make sure that your employees believe it and see it and feel it uh, every day in, in the work they do. But then that's because they're a conduit between you and your customers. And your customers should be able to walk into your lobby again see, and see what's etched there in the marble and say, all right, well, I may not have exactly picked those words, but I could totally see that this is exactly what you're trying to do because whenever I buy your product, whenever I interact with your service, whenever I see you and have a touch point in my journey with your brand, it absolutely is what you say you're all about right here. Right. And, and, and that's the whole purpose of CX. Right. And coming back to the customer's point of view, myself as a customer, as a satisfied customer of a particular brand, I would stick to that brand till things are going the way I want them to go. And the moment things start going south, I will move away to another brand. As a customer, I have umpteen number of choices these days. But yep. what a company can do to make me stick even when things go south, even when they mess up some of the experiences, even when they didn't deliver what they really promised. Yeah, well, uh, that's that's a complicated one uh, because we do live in the same world, don't we? You and I, and <laughs> in that same world, there will often be times when something mm -hmm. falls apart and something doesn't doesn't work right. Uh, it, it you know it's said that the that the measure of somebody's character isn't how they act when everything's going well, it's how they act in, mm -hmm. in the face of adversity, right? Well, brands and companies are, are no different, okay? But here's the thing, does your recovery represent what your brand promises as well? And this is where CX reaches into things like customer support and customer service and customer success, right? Is that interaction when something goes bad representative of what you promise to your customers, right? Just because you're the luxury uh, uh, Ritz Carlton, uh, you know, concierge white glove <laughs> service type of organization, ladies and gentlemen serving ladies and gentlemen, doesn't mean that something isn't going to go wrong every once in a while, right? But how do you 
recover from that? How do you uh, react when something does go wrong, right? If you're the discount brand and you sell discount widgets, right? Well, things are gonna go wrong from time to time in that instance too. How's your recovery? Is your recovery something that keeps in mind saving your customers money, right? Okay, well, we th this broke and of course we have a warranty, so we'll send you this, this you know, the, the replacement part out. But because we're all about saving you money, we may not overnight it to you. By the way, I talk to other CX people and they say, I can't believe you wouldn't move heaven and earth to get this, this part out to your customer. That's terrible CX, that's terrible customer support. It's like, well, maybe. And of course this is situational. I'm only talking metaphorically anyway. But if your whole brand is saving your customers money, you're not gonna save your customers money necessarily if you overnight them a replacement part when something goes wrong. If it costs half half as much to send it next day or two day, right? So it's it's about everything, every part of that customer's journey, every interaction with your brand, reinforcing that brand promise. That's CX. Perfect. So what's your final word for our CX enthusiasts and all those who are wanting to get their company up there from the customer experience point of view? I would say again, and, and you know what, I, I think it's a great tee, uh, tee up to, to, to this point that I'll reemphasize again. Know why you're doing CX and know that the purpose of CX is to improve what you do with the goal of removing misalignment between your brand promise and your customer's experiences. Drive that brand promise home. That's the whole purpose of CX. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Nick. It was so great to have you here. Actually, we could have gone on with these conversations for days together because customers, oh, that's a lovely topic to talk about. Yeah, it's the story of my life and it's what I'm dedicated to, you bet. Yeah, thanks, Supriya. Thanks for having me. CXO with your host, Supriya. I hope you enjoyed a dive into the nitty-gritty of customer experience. If you are committed to applying these ideas in the real world, stay tuned with me. Don't forget to check out all the links and resources in the show notes. That's all for this episode, folks. See you next time.